1: This is episode number 42 with our guest, Kenny Weiss. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Well, hello there. Thank you for joining us and tuning in. Welcome right into the studio. You're tuned into the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. I don't even know where to begin with our guest today. And the reason I say that is simply because everything he is and everything he stands for resonates fully. Have you ever found yourself lying in bed wondering what in the world it all means or how am I going to move through this? or perhaps worse, like in my case, for forever, have you read the books, watched the videos, heard the suggestions, and know full well what you should absolutely be doing next, yet you still feel like something is preventing you and holding you back from taking that action on those very things? What in the world is that about? Well, stick with me here. Dial in on that feeling for a minute. I've been there, I've spent decades there, feeling smart and educated, even motivated, but things around me weren't propelling me forward. I wasn't moving in the direction I hoped I should be moving in. Was it, in part, a fear of failure? I thought so on many levels, but our guest will show quite directly and truthfully and accurately how it's never even about that. It's not about the fear of failure. There is so much here. I can't wait to dig into all of this. Powerful stuff ahead. Our guest today is a coach, a speaker, and an author of the amazing book titled Your Journey to Success, How to Accept the Answers You Discover Along the Way. It is... For my money, the best dressed in personal development. Please help me welcome Coach Kenny Weiss. How you doing, uh, Kenny?
0: I'm doing really well. Thanks for that, Josh. I appreciate it.
1: My absolute pleasure. I appreciate you. And like I said, so much about what you do, who you are, and what you stand for. I want to just just go right in and start unraveling some of this. Let's start with the book. More specifically, sure. the book title. I love yes your your journey to success but i love the the tagline how to accept the answers you discover along the way it there's it, it's a very provocative tagline um how to accept the answers what does that phrase imply about our otherwise perhaps common approach to living what do we do instead of that
0: well that's that's why i wrote the book uh, the success books personal growth books the the route they go down. I saw a gap in the industry. There's certain things they didn't want to touch, or may, I, I mean, I've read some brilliant people. I think that my assumption is they know it, but some stuff doesn't sell well, and they want to stay out of those tough areas, and that's why you like you were brought up the fear of failure, fear of success, and there's a reason for that, but nobody addresses it, and so my book, just my book, the greatness movement, everything I do goes. Like if you've read all the other stuff, this is the next step. What I talk about, I just haven't heard people talk about. And it's, you know, I call it the missing gap. It's when you have this information, then you can take all of their brilliant information and actually implement it because they've left out some key components. And you're going to have to do, it's a massive self-awareness process that a lot of people leave out. And that's really the greatness movement, of the book. It's the ultimate self-awareness process.
1: I love that term because um, a few years ago in my life, when I started connecting with people like you and other people, you know, just focusing on, you know, I've always been attracted to and love personal development, personal growth. And when I started talking to people, I, I, always, I, I always heard that, oh, you're very self-aware. And at first, I, I was like, I, I had no idea really what that meant, but I, I thought I was doing something right. What, what is that? What does that mean to be self-aware?
0: Well, first thing you have to realize is a lot of people aren't aware that everything we ever do, every thought we have is a byproduct of an emotion. But we're all successful folks. Everything is about thought. They ignore the emotional aspect. So. People aren't aware, and they aren't even aware, two-thirds of the population doesn't even have, they can't register their feelings. If you ask them, how do you feel, they'll say things like, oh, good, bad, Uh, those aren't feelings. Good is a state, it has nothing, it's a description. It's not how you feel. They don't even know, and so they're not self-aware enough to recognize that whatever struggle they're going through, personally or professionally, is emotion based because we as a society and culture, we don't want to talk about that. Yet, if any part of your life is not where your business, I know this is an entrepreneur show. If your business isn't working, you're kind of wasting your time chasing the next sales gimmick. Go find out what you're feeling because you're making choices based on those feelings that are setting up dynamics that are keeping you from what you want. When you understand that, that's the self-awareness process is recognizing I have certain feelings there and where did they originate from? And I repeat them. And when I have that awareness, then I can create the shift in whatever part of my life I want.
1: Mm. So, so brilliant. In that I somewhat recently had that epiphany and aha moment for myself where for years and years and years in business, I'm just, you know, trying to make a mark, make a dent, make a dollar and saying, okay, let me try this. And I spend time and, and give it my best and put it out there and it it fizzles out. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, let me try. Oh, this they're going to love and i would just repeat that process over and over again to no real avail and then it just it just perpetuates like oh and then you start feeling bad about yourself and it just you just go down that hole and then i realized like you said wait a minute it's not about what i'm putting out there because it's all colored by me i have yeah. this i have this gunk i have this emotional blah that is literally colored everything that i put out there so until i get a hold of that and change that, nothing I do could possibly be effective.
0: Well, your whole description, what, you, what that tells me is the decisions you were making on marketing or whatever you wanted to put out, they were based on what you were feeling. And you even used the word. See, people don't say think. They, they use feeling. They don't even realize they're saying it. <laughs> you made choices based on what you felt would work. Well, if what you're feeling is off, and you're not aware that those feelings are driving those decisions, you'll keep chasing the wrong process to your success, career, whatever it is you want. So until you recognize what feeling is driving the decision-making process, and change that, that's when things click. But we don't go down that business coaching, all of it, they don't wanna deal with any of that. Well, that's why a lot of my clients, they've worked with business coaches, and they do 60, 70, 80% of what the business coach wants. But there's a, they're like, yeah, I don't want to do that because a feeling comes up. And then the business coach can't fix that. That's not their skill set. Their skill set is A, B, C, D of structure. Well, since everything we do is motivated by feeling, they don't have the skill set to uncover what feelings keeping them from doing that other 10 to 20%. That's my skill set is to help somebody learn that and fill that gap
1: brilliant it's it's just so fascinating and you say that um when we have that feeling perhaps when we know what we should be doing but we don't do it it's it's not a fear of failure
0: oh can't be think of it like you started to say in the intro we've all laid in bed or been out for a walk whatever it is sitting at our desk and going God, I know I need to send this email. I know I need to call my wife and take her on a date. Whatever it is, we know the answer. But what happens? A feeling comes up. We don't feel like doing it. It's not a thought. We all say that. Oh, I just don't feel like it. Well, in that moment, you, you, have, you have already described what you need to do but you've chosen not to do it you've gladly accepted failure repeatedly over and over hundreds of times a day you love failure what you're scared to death of is success because if you actually went and did that you'd get what you want but there now this gets into the brain how the brain and body works i won't bore you but there's a reason we will repeat that failure that's the cycle i talk about in my book and so when you become aware of how that cycle is operating in you and why you keep self-victimizing like that, then you can put, and then I give you a huge amount of um, um, solutions to create that emotional shift so that you're no longer afraid of success.
1: So, so, so much there. I'm scribbling these notes. I want to go through some of this. Sure. So in, in essence, are we, I I get it. We are, and and I I completely agree. And I know that this this has been for me and is for some a very tough, Pill to swallow that sure. uh, if you 're not taking the action and you 're failing it 's a choice you are making that choice deliberately consciously subconsciously whatever you you can 't uh, deny anything around that you are making that choice of failure, which becomes comfortable i guess for for a lot of us in in so many situations so we we choose to do that, and you say there's is it because we call it what you will but we feel like we're not we're not worthy or we don't deserve it is is that the direction
0: well there's several pieces to it like i discuss how the brain and body works in my book you said the word i'm comfortable you see our brain doesn't know right from wrong it knows known versus unknown and so since since childhood we've all at some point failed and been told we fail so Our brain and body, it creates what's called a neural pathway. I'll try and not get into heavy into the science. I'll skip over stuff and keep it very superficial. But you create a neural pathway so your brain and body becomes addicted to the feeling that gets created. Think of it this way, like I do this in the book. Think of sledding down a hill, three feet of powder the night before you go out and you get to the top of the hill and you go down. And so when you get to the bottom, you walk back up and you do that same pathway. Well, you go down a couple times, all of a sudden the walls of the powder, if you wanted to turn out of it, you can't. And that's what happens to all of us. We're stuck going out that, that neural pathway, repeating it. It feels comfortable. That's why I talk about in the book, you have to relearn your gut feeling because I, there's a difference between a trauma gut and your true authentic gut feeling. Most people's gut feeling that they go with keeps them repeating That comfortable cycle that I talk about in my book, it keeps them stuck on that track because it feels normal, because their brain and body knows this self-abuse, this self-victimization, this failure, and so it seeks to repeat it. That's why the domestic abuse survivor doesn't leave, because they know, even though I get beat up, at least I'm alive. And so the way our brain and body works chemically keeps us there. And so I teach you how to, one, when you get to the bottom of the hill, recognize what's happening inside you emotionally as you walk back up that hill and why you choose that same path. So once you become self-aware of those steps, then you can get to the top and go, oh, I'm going to take two steps to the left. I'm going to carve a new emotional neural pathway. And that's how you get out of that loop.
1: Chills, chilling, chilling, coach. I, I just I I just love all of that because I'm I'm living this and, and I've been there. Like you, I know your story, and we're gonna dive into a lot of this. I had so many addictions that I'm sure so many of us can relate to. I mean, it's just not one or two. You know, you when you really break it down, you're addicted to a lot of things that are just no good. And I have <laughs> since been able to consciously, like you're saying, just carve that new path. And it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't oh. happen just once or twice. It's, I, I always say that I'm, I'm literally in recovery these days because you are. I was addicted to a lot of bad things in my past and now I'm in recovery and I have to day in and day out consistently indulge in these new effective habits in order to maintain healthy and that's what I'm doing. I love you keep using the phrase self-victimizing. Tell us a little bit what that is. How, how does that show up in our world?
0: Well, there are four stages to the cycle I talk about. Every one of us has been through trauma. It's unavoidable, all right? I mean, I talk about, you know, me at 10 years old waking up to find my mom passed out naked on the toilet. But even a simple story of me reaching into the refrigerator to get, grab cottage cheese, my mom goes, no, 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 that's for the dogs. Well, she used to hide their food, their pills in cottage cheese when they got sick. That's what she meant, but what I heard was, if you eat, there's a problem. She's angry at me, right? Mm -hmm. Also, the underlying message is, we feed the dogs here first. I starved myself for years. People would say, let's go get some to eat, I'd say, it bores me. So people don't realize, a simple comment like that is trauma. Now, I won't get into all of it, but that leads to fear, then shame, and the fourth stage is denial. The self-victimizing part is shame. And think of it, in that moment when my mom yelled at me, I lost power. I lost my authentic power because my life depends on her. I'm, I was young to eat anything. I have to become what she wants, right, for me to eat. So in that moment, I lose my authentic power. So the reason we all choose failure, we all choose to self-victimize is what do we get? Power. Think of it, if I have a bad relationship, a bad career, I set up a bad marketing plan, I don't care, pick any of it, and it fails, at least I chose it. Because remember, as a kid, I couldn't. There was nothing I could do about it. It happened to me. And so that's why we pick, I can walk in any room and show you why somebody's picked a relationship, why they're self-victimizing this person. I mean, all of it, careers, there are law offices that bring me in to pick jury trial, I mean, because I can look, I can just see by the way they sit and everything, what they've been through. We live it out in all of our choices, friends, hobbies, careers, all of it, because at least now I'm in control of it. And then we go into the 4 stage denial. That's where we project, blame, criticize, all that. That's, I won't get into that. I'm going to stay to answer your question. But the reason we all self-victimize is it's our attempt to reconcile when our power was taken from us, whether it was you know sexual abuse, you know what we'd all consider typical abuse, but most people don't recognize just as simple being yelled at, things like that creates this cycle.
1: Hmm. Wow, wow, wow! If you listening, do nothing else, rewind those previous two minutes and put it on loop. Wow, that's so much there. So is the is the goal personally? to to sort of wake up, quote-unquote, and find a new path to replace the self-victimization?
0: Yeah. See, what happens in that moment of trauma is we lose our authentic self. I chose to become somebody who would starve himself to keep my mom from yelling at me. That's why I played two pro sports. One was to get back at my older brother. We'd play street hockey and he'd say, get in the net. Well, he was huge. He just hold me by my head and beat the hell out of me. Well, I realized real quick playing street hockey when I'd stop him, it would piss him off. It was the only way I could get back at him. So I played pro hockey to get back at my older brother and also, well, I won't get into the other reason. I'll keep it short. But so that was an adapted personality. Same thing with pro golf, all these things. So we adopt these personalities to survive that trauma. Okay. We think it's us. That's why we need to be self-aware because once you do the work, you realize, wait a minute, I've been doing all of this to self-victimize who I really am is this over here. That's the two steps to the left and carve a new path down Mm -hmm. the, the powder, the, you know, the, the sled down the hill. But you have to recognize, wait a minute, what brought me to this hill? What brought me up to this pathway was all these subtle little things and that's what motivates me i mean listen to anyone in finance why do they do it they'll tell you some story of how their parents or somebody in their family had money issues or there was money issues growing up like it's so simple you know whatever somebody does when they give you the explanation they tell you their trauma history that they're reconciling now it can work for you or against you for most people it's working against them when you have the self awareness process that's why only 7% of the population for years has been fully satisfied at work because they're self-victimizing in their work. They haven't found, it's like there's a chapter in my book, Are You the Hostage or the Hero? They're mostly a hostage to their career because they're reliving the abuse. They're not the hero. And that's what I, if you want to find the answer, that's why the book is How to Accept the Answers Along the Way. If you want to, they're there. But because of the cycle shame and denial, it's... A lot of, it depends where you are in your growth process if you're ready to accept it. But well, now
1: I, see, now I see why the book has 31 five-star, 100% reviews on Amazon. Makes sense. Yeah. I get yeah. it. So um, you, you've alluded to some of the, um, some of the story points. I want to go back and connect sure. all these dots. Wow. Take us back, please, to Kenny Weiss, Prior to Coach Kenny Weiss, way back in the beginning as a young child, I know, uh, again, you already painted some of the pictures. Start from the beginning. Okay. What was life like like? <laughs> what was life like for you growing up as a young, young boy?
0: Well, my parents were 16 and 18 when they were married, 21 and 23 with four kids. All right? Okay, I'm
1: sorry. They were married at 16 and 18, and by the time they were 21 and 23, they had four kids? Yes. Where were yeah. you in the chain there?
0: I was number three.
1: Okay, so, okay, fine, yeah.
0: My mom became an alcoholic, like, think of it, she should have done crack and heroin too, being that young with four kids, yeah. The other thing you have to recognize is, we don't teach anything about how to be a parent. None of us have taken a single class, yet you mention it, everyone gets defensive and goes, oh, I know what to do. Well, how? You learn from people who didn't take a class either. You know, we go get training on everything, but the real key factors that drive our life, the things I teach, nobody wants to go near. Well, that's why you're struggling. It all boils down to this. So my mom became an alcoholic and my dad was beat to death as a kid. He never hit us, but he was filled with rage. And so at the age of 10, I woke up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom. I opened the door. My mom's passed out naked on the toilet. That was my main trauma. There were tons more brother abuse and all those different things. I don't want to get into all of it. But since we don't teach anything about how to overcome this or even talk about it or address it, from there, I adopted these false personas. It's what we all do. I became, I, I, well, I became an alcoholic, sex addict, spending addict, sugar addict, tobacco addict, love addict. I went through two horrific divorces, child custody battle, a bankruptcy. I played two pro sports. I see now I never wanted to play. And eventually I contemplated suicide. And that's kind of the normal American life, if you think about it. Um, there's nothing really remarkable about remarkable about it. We all struggle. Um, but since, like I said, there's a bias against one, learning about parenting, relationships, emotions, we all, we're not bad or incapable, we just don't have the information. And that's the whole point of the greatness movement is to break that stereotype and that bias down in society. Like I, I, I did a Facebook video the other couple weeks ago with the, the um, uh, Supreme Court thing. And I said, this is not political. I don't care what side you're on. Let's look at this. And this is a perfect example of society and the problems with it. Let's say he raped her. Okay. Why? Why did he rape her? Because at some point... He was abused and he's acting it out. So the problem is the abuse he went through, not that he raped her. Now, conversely, let's say he didn't and she's lying. Why is she lying? Because of trauma and abuse she went through that's never been dealt with. But see, this is what we do. We're then we spent weeks arguing over the symptom. But if we dealt with the cause 36 years ago and it was socially acceptable to address the trauma that either one of them had been through, whichever side you pick, we would have never been in this position. That's the whole point of what I'm doing is, could you imagine what it would have saved the country to not have gone through that fight if we'd have actually dealt with the real issue, that both have been through trauma that hasn't been addressed, and this is how it plays out. That's what we need to get to as a society. And if you want to succeed at anything, or as I call it, If you want to walk in your greatness, that's the pathway out. There's no other way. None. You can succeed and have the corner office and all that, but why are all the celebrities committing suicide who've achieved it all? Because they haven't dealt with it. They don't have the skills and self-awareness. That's why when people, quote, succeed and get all the money and everything, they're miserable because they haven't reconciled. They used the trauma, just like me, the trauma and everything, It's the shame portion. It's self-hatred that we use to fuel ourselves to become successful, to try and fill that hole. And once we get it, we're left bankrupt because we've used the wrong fuel source. It's self-victimizing. It's self-loathing. It's not self-empowering. But no one's taught us how to do that.
1: So, so darn true. Thinking about my darkest times, you know, many of them staring at that ceiling. And I, I know you, uh, similar, you just, you know, should I end it? Is that, is that the better uh, direction to go? Even in those, those moments when you're just, oh, uh, you just feel so terrible. Like we said earlier, there is a level of comfort, I suppose, because it's familiar, right? It's crazy. Because of the
0: feeling. Think of it. When you're laying there, you know that feeling. You've been feeling it for years. You also know, as a, see, our brain is an organism looking to survive. It knows, look, I'm 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. I'm still here. We also know the process. Again, it's the sled on the hill. We know we've been here. We know after a couple of days or weeks, it's going to change a little, and we're going to go right back on that cycle. I'm familiar with it, I know it, but, and see this is what people don't realize because we don't teach this. The mere suggestion of doing something new, because every, like I know this, people listening to the show, some have already left the show because I've triggered their amygdala. What people don't realize is every bit of information that comes in comes through the backside of their brain, their thalamus. You feel emotionally before you ever get to thought. If we see, touch, smell, hear anything new, our amygdala fires, that's our fear center, it goes, whoa, this is a danger. And that's why we don't change. People listening to me will be shutting me off, going into denial, going, no, I don't know this. I've never heard this. He's wrong. He's crazy. I don't want to hear it. And that keeps them repeating. They never... Because when our amygdala fires, we can't get into the front part of our brain, which is where we think and do reason and make decisions. So we stay in the emotional portion of our brain, and that's what keeps us repeating it. So I know that people have to hear what I say repeatedly before they'll ever even consider a change. I have to get their amygdala to calm down enough to go, oh, I've heard this before. This is safe. And they'll start creating the new neural pathway to get to the front part of their brain and change.
1: The sled, a new little path down the sled. Exactly. Um, I love that you used the T word, trigger. Uh, it's so true. A lot of what you say, I say, what people say in life will, will have a trigger. Talk to me about triggers.
0: Well, it's, um, it's fascinating because when you realize how all this stuff works, it's it's so simple. Like I say, when I get into deeper topics on, well, my topics are always deep on my podcast, but I can predict uh, my, my show. I'll say, watch, I'm about to tell you what the answer is and the viewership's going to drop and it'll just go like everyone leaves. They don't want to hear it because that trigger what we're triggering, what's happening is we are reliving the trauma we experienced. That's what's happening to all of us. It's a reminder, and we have the exact same feeling reaction. That's why we repeat the self-abuse, because our, our brain and body becomes addicted. Like you wear, you're wearing a black shirt. That's an addiction. You're not shaving. That's an addiction. And what people don't realize is everything you do is an emotional addiction. You, you're, you, the cells of your body get used to it, and they send a signal. So don't get hung up on the word addiction, because whatever you do in your life is that. But because that trauma created such an intense chemical reaction, you seek to repeat it. That's why the self awareness process is so important. So you can see what it is and decide, is this working for me or against me? Some of it, like some of my skill set, is a direct outcome of the trauma I've been through. Parts of it are a blessing, other parts of it are terribly destructive. But you have to do the journey to success to find the difference between the two
1: you you've been through all of those addictions you've pointed out my goodness even just even just that one moment 10 years old <coughs> and, uh walking in on your naked mother i i who could imagine uh, and then you you went into sports how self-aware wonderful to be able to now see oh i went in for these reasons um Talk to me about um, athletes in general and uh, their role of self-victimization.
0: Well, it's really funny. I have a newspaper article in my room. My older brother played pro hockey too. And it's just before we both turned pro. And the title says, sibling rivalry led to ice proficiency, something like that. And in the first two paragraphs, even at 20-some years old, I describe that I became a goalie to get back at my brother. I describe the trauma I went through. Listen to any football player, any sport you want. And when they talk to them why they love the sport so much, listen to the feelings they share. They're telling you the trauma they went through and what they're trying to reconcile. Every single athlete out there isn't playing because they love the game. They're playing because of the emotional reaction from what they went through. Herschel Walker got beat up as a kid. Listen to his story. All he played football was, was to get back at the trauma he suffered. Everybody does it. Your career, your friends, your hobbies, every single choice you ever make, regardless of who you are, is to reconcile that. That's what all we're ever doing now, unfortunately, because Nobody shared the kind of information I share, and we don't talk about it as as a society. People don't realize that whatever sport or activity they like, they're trying to reconcile a feeling. Now, I'm not saying everything you do is bad. It can be. Like for me, golf and hockey were destructive for me. But it may not be for everybody. It may be the answer but that's what they're doing. But you have to do the work to find out if it's working for you or against you.
1: Can you, repeat, can you repeat and expand a little bit? I love that statement that everything we do, every choice we make is a reconciliation of a past trauma. Explain yeah. that. Give an example. I, 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 I just want to go down that path for a minute.
0: Okay. Well, uh, I had a real estate agent. Who came to me and uh, had a tremendous career of you know making a bunch and going broke bankrupt and all that okay well, first of all, I already know if you 're in real estate, the reason you 're in real estate is because you had some sort of tr- you, re- had a, you grew up in an army household where you moved a lot. You moved at an influential time, 7th grade, 10th, 9th grade, high school years, something like that. There was some sort of turmoil and movement around the house. And so that's why you get into real estate is because the buying and selling process is so chaotic. It's the same thing. <clears throat> so he didn't realize, one, that's why he chose real estate. And two, he had this amour that he carried with him for 30, 40 years. Huge thing. And read the story in my book of the words and feeling words he used to describe how it felt like this piece strapped to his back that it couldn't even fit inside the moving van it had to sit outside and as he's describing this that's exactly what he went through emotionally when he moved he was no longer part of the community he was detached from the family he's now on the outside in a separate car and he carried that armoire with him For years as a representation of the feelings he experienced in his childhood get the book and read it his name's jay now when we did the work he went in less than was it eight ten months his business um went up 186 percent and he became the number 10 agent and all of Berkshire Hathaway by dealing with this cycle. He was, he could learn how he'd self-sabotage, choose failure and all of that. That's when you see, he didn't know that on a daily basis, he would keep picking clients. Here's a great example. He came in one day at an appointment freaking out. Oh my God, Kenny, I'm back on the cycle. I'm going back down. I'm losing everything. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what's going on, Jay? And he said, well, this weekend I got fired by three clients. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, the first one wanted me to break the law. And I wouldn't. The second one wanted me to do kind of that, but also a bunch of stuff for free. And the third one just wanted me to do stuff for free. And I cracked up. I said, Jay, do you realize something? Before you came to see me, you couldn't say no. You would Because we all do that. Oh, I have to give them what they want, which it doesn't work. That's a whole nother chapter of the power of saying no. But now that you can, now that you're walking in your authenticity, what happens is, is you shift the clients that are attracted to you. So they hired you because there were remnants of the old Jay who would give himself away. And if you did all those things, you would lose your business, but you won't do them now. And so they recognize they can't manipulate you. What you just did, Jay, is you broke your cycle. He didn't see it. He wasn't aware. And that's the transformation that happens. Your clientele will change. The men or women you're attracted to will change. Everything will shift because your brain will no longer seek the self-victimizing reliving of the trauma. You will take two steps to the left and carve a new path down the hill, which brings you to the greatness, the authentic self you were meant to be, not the adapted self-victimizing self we all live in.
1: What in the world were you most of your adult life prior to coach Kenny Weiss?
0: I was known as a star athlete. That's basically who I was, was all my life an athlete. I also built homes and custom furniture at one time.
1: But you, uh, made, your, you made your living playing sports. Yeah,
0: my, 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 this is the only job I've ever picked in my career. I picked hockey to please my father, then my first wife, when I we got engaged. That's a great that's a great story. If you want to learn how denial works, I'll tell you that story. <laughs> yeah. He wanted me to give up hockey and get into construction, so I did it. My second wife wanted me to give up construction and get into golf, so I did it. I, I was never me. This is the first cheer career I chose. And that process I found out while driving for Uber. I was an Uber driver before I did this. So there, if you want to learn the story of how denial works, like I could tell you that and that could show you how the cycle works in everybody. P, I think, let me tell that story because I think <clears throat> it'll give the audience a better idea of how the cycle works. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. I'm playing pro hockey. The season ends I'm flying out. I remember looking out the window and saying, this is the year, Kenny. You're going to make it. Whatever you do, don't get messed up with a woman this summer. Three weeks later, I'm engaged. Four months later, I go to training camp. I was a goalie. There were two other goalies in camp, all right? One ended up playing parts of six years in the NHL. The other one had just come off winning the Olympic gold medal, played 14 years. The coach pulls me aside and says, Kenny, you're the best in camp. Well, my fiance is like, you know, this hockey thing's kind of cool, but I don't think we'll make it. I, you know, and what are we taught in society? Oh, if you love, give up everything, right? It's a bunch of BS. We have to say yes, we have to support them. So I gave up hockey. Right? Well, my family's going, Kenny, this is crazy. You're you've you've pursued this your whole life. And who the hell is she asking you to give it up? Well, she's going, Are you gonna let them talk to me that way? So I went 10 years without seeing or talking to anyone in my family. Mm. Now, in that 10 years of marriage, we had 12 instances of intimacy. An instance would include physical touch, kind words, or any type of sexual activity. The last instance of intimacy in our marriage was two and a half years before the divorce. We're getting ready to go to dinner. And she said, Kenny, your butt looks good in those jeans. That was the only intimacy in the last two and a half years. And she was also physically and verbally abusive. Now, how everyone listening to this, would, te- would their, what they're thinking, and if this was their life, what they'd say is, what a blank. I mean, look at you. You're a great guy. You gave up your hockey. You gave up your career, your dream for her. You gave up your family. You gave up sex, and she beat, beat you up. What a brutal person. You're great, right? Bunch of baloney. That's denial. That's the cycle. I'm going to watch, and this is what everybody listening, they've all been through a similar story just like this. Well, When you do the work, this is what you find. This is the truth. What I realized is I never wanted to play pro hockey. Like I said, I played it to get back into my older brother. Also, my dad was filled with rage. I became his dumping ground. I couldn't ever talk back. So I played two pro sports. Does anyone ever talk to a goalie? No. Where do they stand? Completely separated and alone, right? Same thing with golf. Nobody talks. You can't speak, right? The other thing is because I was always so in tune emotionally, the second I'd open my mouth, everyone in the family would shut me down. So I picked two pro sports where I didn't have to talk, but I was filled with rage. How do I get rid of it? Who's to blame and as a goalie and playing golf if a mistake is made? Me. It was the only place I could dump my anger and I dumped it out on myself. That's why I played pro sports. But I picked a woman who then I could play the victim, which is what we all do. And I could go, look at this. I gave up everything. So I chose somebody to to set up the Mm self-victimization, go into denial and blame her. Now, why the family piece? Well, because I'm in my mid-20s playing pro hockey. And I'm still the emotional surrogate spouse for both my parents. I couldn't leave. I didn't know it at the time. So I picked somebody who would give me the choice. And again, I could play the victim and point the finger at her, right? Because we look at our society when we're sick, hurt, anything bad happens in our life. We all play the victim and everybody comes to our rescue. It gives us our power back. That we lost. See how I'm getting all this power by blaming and everything and making it about her. And nobody argues with us because we as a society have bought into this, what I call the worst day cycle. Now, why did I pick someone who because of her own trauma couldn't be sexual? Well, because at 10 years old, finding my mom passed out naked, sex freaked me out. Now, earlier when I was younger, I slept with everyone and everything, but now I was sober, I couldn't be sexual. It scared the hell out of me, so I picked somebody who couldn't be as well, and I could have then, again, play the victim and blame her. Like, it's brilliant. Finally, while I would never condone abuse, we all choose it. Everybody. I'm part of the Me Too generation, and every one of us chooses it, and sets it up. Think of it. Now I see, because subconsciously I realized how manipulative and awful I was being to her. I needed someone who would not only tell me what a piece of you know what I was, she'd make me feel it. Mm. That's why I picked it. So when you get into that, like when I saw that, like I adore my first wife. Like literally, I care about her. I never cared about her. She is the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful women in my life because look at what she taught me about me. She never failed me. Based on who I was at the time, she loved me perfectly because I set, those were all choices I made. I set it up. Like, where did she fail me? She was perfect for me. That's the freedom you get when you go through the greatness movement process, everything I talk about. You get into reality and you get to forgive yourself that my God, I manipulated the hell out of her to treat me this way. But now that I see it, I can forgive me. And that's what allows me to forgive her because I don't have to hold resentment. Now she still, she hasn't done the work. She still fires, tries to fire me up. And I think it's adorable. 15 years later, she still is trying to love me. Like how lucky am I that she still wants to love me. She just doesn't recognize I've grown. I don't need to be loved that way anymore, but it doesn't even affect me. I think it's adorable when she does her stuff. So it's, mm. that's, that's what you will all find. But I know right now there are a lot of people going, oh, I don't want to learn that about myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's why you're not succeeding. That's why when you lay in bed and you choose failure, you need to go do that work and that's the pathway out. If you want to walk in your greatness.
1: <laughs> so what is so what is that first step? for somebody who's listening that says, oh yeah, that's me. That's all me. I'm there. I am so deep in that world and they haven't tuned out and they say, "Uh, yeah, I'm ready for this. Obviously they have to be ready. They have to want it. They have to see it. But what is the actual first step for them to move in that direction that you did?
0: Yeah. You have to go become an expert in your trauma. You, you go like when I walked into my counselor's office, I mean, I've been studying psychology and everything because I was fascinated since I was a kid. But after the first marriage, I went to see a therapist because I knew something was wrong with me if I picked all that. And his first question was, Kenny, what are you doing here? And I said, I told him the story and I said, I don't know how to be a man. I, I need to learn. And he said, Kenny, when I was in your shoes, I went and became an expert. And that clicked. He, he would suggest a book or go, well, I read this. I'd have it read. The point is, as I went and became an expert in my dysfunction and why I was choosing this. So whether you buy my book, whether you go to the greatness movement and join one of the groups, whatever it is, I don't care, get started. And like in my book, I recommend tons of books that are part of the process, like the best books for the self-awareness process that to really find the answers because there are a lot of books out there and most of them stay in what I call the superficial buzzwords. They won't give you, they're selling you, but they're not giving you the pathway out. Mine goes, as you can tell by what I talk about, incredibly deep and and makes you see yourself. And then I recommend several. So that's the first step is if you can afford it, hire somebody to help you see it. Um, but go become an expert and get, and, and just like you're committed to the career, or whatever it is in your life, you need that kind of dedication to it and, and it'll come, you, you will work through it.
1: What exactly is the worst day cycle?
0: Okay. I, I, I'm kind of kicking myself that I chose that because it, I mean, it describes it well, but because i tell the story of finding my mom some people come up to me and go i never had a big event like that now i describe in the book you know it's not always this massive event but because the story is so profound it it registers emotionally with people but what really what it is is we've all been through either massive traumatic events or a series of smaller ones that create a worse day think of this i do this in speeches think I'll, I'll ask people think about the best day of your life i'll go around the room and m- maybe three out of 50 people will kind of lackluster go well i guess the day my kids were born like they, they can't even find it i'll ask okay now i want you to think about the worst day of your life people completely their people will cry they will break down that's what everybody's stuck in is we're because whether it was a, a typical abuse type trauma or even the little cottage cheese type things, we're stuck in that. And that, it starts with trauma. The overwhelming nature of those, those feelings creates fear. There are many levels to fear. We don't have time for me to get through all of it. Then the key, one of the key aspects, fear has three elements, fear of rejection, Fear of inadequacy, in other words, I don't think I have the skills, tools, or knowledge to do something, or the fear of powerlessness. Every fear has an element of powerlessness, and that sends us into shame. That's where we self-victimize, because we lost our inherent power in the trauma. That's where our false personas show up as well, and so we self-victimize to get attention and power back, but because we're not aware and we don't talk about it, the fourth stage is denial. We judge, blame, and criticize. Like, I know this. Here's a great example. Well, I won't do it. Um, Anytime you judge, blame, or criticize somebody, you're talking about your worst day cycle. You're talking about you. You're never talking about them. But because we don't have the skills and tools and knowledge, that denial then recreates trauma, and we start the whole cycle again. That's why you're laying in bed in that feeling, choosing to fail. You are repeating the worst day cycle ad nauseum all day long. Everybody does it. This is not a certain personality. This is a human dynamic that I could sit with anybody and within two questions go, there it is. That's you. I have whatever personality assessment you've taken, DISC, any of them, I don't care. They are just an expression of how you're operating the worst day cycle. When you go work on that, your personality profile will shift. You can go from an ENFP to an INFJ, whatever. It'll shift when you do the work because you'll get to your authentic self.
1: My goodness. I can't believe where you've come from, who you are today. Speaking of who you are today, what are one or two or three daily habits that you absolutely do to keep you laser focused and on track?
0: It the process to this there's a lot of steps to it but it like you know I had a greatness group meeting last night and you know they're just small intimate groups 8 to 10 people and we're in the denial portion which is very difficult cuz you see you really see parts of yourself you're like oh my god I didn't know that was me. And some people you know the natural remember how the brain works they want to pull away and i said look if you choose to do nothing in this program you do two things one you do the affirmations that i talk about now everyone's heard oh affirmations are cheesy and but the key with an affirmation is it's not the words or the thought it's the feeling like i I joke around, but it's true. Like, I wake up every morning. I've been stuck for two years. I look down, I go, God, I love my feet. Like, I have gorgeous feet. Like, I just do. Like, I don't care what it is. Your eyes, your intellect, it doesn't matter. But something, like, you can tell when I say it. Like, I really believe I have great feet. What we need to shift out of the cycle is to create a new emotional neural pathway that's not self victimizing it's self empowering so you don't just say them you write them down because it creates a chemical reaction so wake up every day write down three things you love about yourself if you if there are parts of yourself you don't like back it off and say i'm willing i'm willing to like my body say you're fat, you feel you're fat, that backs it off enough and gives your brain permission to start accepting yourself. Then at the end of each day, write down three things you accomplished. Most of us go to bed going, I suck. Well, you got up, you took a shower, you fed yourself, you're going to have a long list. That's going to start creating it. So that's, that's central every day to do that. The other thing, the most powerful thing you can ever do is mirror work. I guarantee... I would be shocked, I don't know how big your viewership is, but I don't care. From one to 10,000 people listening, there's probably one person who could actually look themselves in the mirror and say they love themselves. Most people can't even look themselves directly in the mirror. And I talk in the book, the concept, there was a doctor for amputees, how they have phantom pain, they're still, they've lost their arm, but their brain, they're in excruciating pain, and he developed something called a mirror box where they put their attached arm in it, it creates a mirror image and their brain would form a neural pathway almost immediately. The pain would go away because the brain would go, oh, our arm's back? Wow. And that's what mirror work does. It bypasses that trauma loop you're stuck in. And when you do the affirmations and everything, you, you can literally instantly, let me tell you a quick story. I know we're getting close to it. But when I started doing mirror work, I started with, I love myself, I love myself. And you have to look directly in your eyes. And if you can't look in your, if you can't even look yourself into the eyes, that's how important this is to you. You need to do this. That's what's keeping you in your worst day cycle. Do this if you do nothing else. I was able, because i had done a lot of self-esteem work, I could easily say I love myself. Well, here's how the mirror works. After about two weeks, out of the blue, I just heard, what about Kenny? Like inside, I heard my head say, what about Kenny? And I went, huh. Oh. I love you, Kenny. And I freaked out. Like I stepped back. I said it three times, and I'm like, I heard a voice. Like it was like weird. Like, you know, you hear stories of God-like stuff. I'm like, this is creepy. What I realized was I heard my mom's voice. See, my mom, when she was drunk, the way she overattached to me is she'd come up to me She'd be in a walking coma, basically. And she'd be staggering. And she'd be hey, if I want drink, will you just say you love me? That's what I was replaying. So anytime time a woman or somebody said they loved me, I heard my mom's voice. I couldn't hear them. I couldn't accept it. It took me about 10 days before I could finally hear my own voice say, Kenny, I love you. And that's what the mirror does. It uncovers those neural pathways of trauma that we didn't even know were there. And that's, if you do nothing in this process, do the affirmations in the morning and night and do mirror work. Because the way the process works, as your self-esteem rises, your denial drops, and you'll be willing. That's what gives you the open pathway to be willing to do the work. So do the self-esteem work if you do nothing else Mm
1: -hmm. eventually
0: you'll do the rest of the process if you do that
1: so spectacular what mantra do you live by today
0: um let it come see we've all been raised in what i call the nike philosophy come on be a grinder go 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 baloney it kills everybody it doesn't work i don't work there's a whole chapter on how to let life come to you. When I, don't, when I can't figure something out, I go lay by my pool. Everyone else sits at their desk and grinds away and tries to fix it. It's the dumbest thing you can do. Get away from it. Now it's too long with us ending the show for me to get into the process, but I teach you the process on how to do it. And so whenever I want something to happen in my life, and I start trying to control it and trying to make it happen, which is what we've all been taught to do. That's the Nike philosophy. I go, oh, Kenny, just let it come. I go off and do something completely different. Now I'm getting so good out of it that literally just as I step in another direction, my brain frees up and I get the answer. So that's, that's a, it's too long of an explanation with the show ending. But it's in the book. and, and Wow. That, that, the Nike philosophy of being a grinder, the Gary, sorry, Gary Vaynerchuk, what he promotes doesn't work. It destroys people because it's, it's anger based. Cause think of it, what happens on those days? You can't just do it. What do you do to yourself? You destroy yourself. And so you use self-hatred. Come on, you piece of blank. Come on, you got to do this. Well, that's what destroys you. That's the cycle. And I teach the other way. It's hmm. When you walk in that, you gain your greatness, not that self-hatred.
1: Do you believe that everything happens for a reason?
0: Well, you choose it, yes. Yeah, I, nothing just happens spontaneously. Like, I, I hate the word accident. Everyone says, oh, it's an accident. I got in a car accident. Really? So how long have you been working at that job? Five years. Okay, do you take that same pathway home every day? Yes. Okay. So um, let's see. Twenty-five times five. So you've what is that? Uh, a couple thousand times you've driven that same pathway. Where's the accident? You've put yourself in a position over two thousand times to be in that exact spot to get hit by a car. Tell me where the accident is. You chose it. You leave at a certain time. Why? What's going on in your life? What are you feeling? What? Are, who are you? Where are you giving yourself away in your life where you want to play the victim and get in an accident so you don't have to take ownership of it? And when you do the work, you'll find there, I don't care. Like I show, all illness, disease, injury, it's proven even by government statistics, the medical profession, I show you scientifically, not my opinion, the medical community, if anything bad is happening to you, you've chosen it. It's not an Eastern, just my opinion, philosophy. I give you the science to back it up.
1: It's so true. It's a tough pill to swallow for some, but um, it's, it's absolutely true. It's there. I, I get it.
0: Look at what happens when we're the victim. Everyone comes to our rescue. It pays off. We get power. What happens if I, I learned that being sick, I learned how much power I got. I was about 18, 19 years old. After I found my mom passed out naked, I was in and out of hospitals for years. Broken bones and stomach and back problems they could never find the problem to. Finally, uh, my back went out. I was laying on the garage floor screaming at my mom to get my crutches because they were up in the rafters. Finally, I screamed out, you selfish son of a bitch. When are you going to stay sober long enough to take care of me? Listen to the words I chose. And I went ice cold and I was, I was young. I didn't even know about all this stuff, but I had, I was born with a level of self-awareness and I realized in that moment, this was the one and only time my mom was drunk when I was sick or hurt. I had been making myself sick and hurt for years to control my mom's drinking. I didn't, after that moment, I've never had back or stomach problems again. They all left because I dealt with the real issue. The real issue is, I was trying to get my mom to be a mother to me, and she couldn't be. And once I let her off the hook, I was able to let myself off the hook. And that's why you're sick and hurt. You're controlling people, just like I was. And when you do the work, you'll see it. And I know a lot of people are, screw you, I have a real disease. Well, I show you, I show you medically, there's less than 2% of the world population that has any sort of gene disorder that predisposes you to an illness cancer any of it it's all emotion the most effective cancer treatment out there isn't the billions we spent on pills and chemo it's emotional work it's all documented i show it there but we have a pill culture look at tv look at all of it we promote you being a victim and that's what's killing everybody that's what the greatness movement is about to change that we don't i want to create a fundamental shift in the All DNA is emotion that's been fired repeatedly. That's what creates DNA. By giving people this information, we can shift the emotional DNA of the human species so it operates this way. That's all it is. If you want, that's all we have to do. But it takes people doing this self-awareness process that I teach. And that's the overarching big life goal of the greatness movement is to create that fundamental shift in society.
1: I love you so much. I love the way you speak It's right. uh, because it's, it's, it's so true and just it, it's not about, like you said, certainly people are, if they're still listening, are, are triggered, uh, but it's, it, it should give you. What it's about is giving you, once you embrace this, it's giving you the power back, period. Yeah.
0: But we have to let go of the power we get from being self-victimizing. That's why we choose it because as I talk about, we don't have an emotional marker for success. Think of it. What do we do when we succeed? What do athletes and everybody do when they win a championship? What do they do? They I'm go, get, oh, so you call it celebration? I call it self-destruction. What do they do? They get stoned. They get drunk. They take <laughs> themselves out of the bliss of feeling empowered and successful, and they destroy themselves.
1: Oh, with numb altering uh, substances. Yes.
0: That's how we celebrate as we self-destruct. Let you prove my point. That's the, that's the emotional DNA the, that the society is caught in is when we do something well, we destroy ourselves. Instead of living in, we don't like because we don't have that neural pathway that's cemented in us of walking in our greatness. What we have is self-victimization. And so even when we quote succeed, we all take ourselves out of it and choose failure. Every one of us. That's what I'm trying to teach is you don't have to live that way. You don't have to celebrate in a way that destroys you.
1: Wow. Talk to me about this side of it. Are you spiritual or religious in any ways?
0: You know, I went through a period that um, after my first divorce where I went to church a lot, I would never call myself religious, but spiritual. But as I did the work, Um, you know, after my second divorce, coming out of the suicide, you know, I was contemplating suicide, and I put, I finally put the full pieces of this together. I kind of had an epiphany. And I was in an airport. And I don't know, I'd done some research on God and the devil just before I left. And I was sitting there waiting for my plane. And I went, oh, my God. Okay, if you believe in any God, whichever one it is, I don't care. What's the basic premise that it, he, she is perfect, right? Well, in every religion, there's a counterbalance. There's a devil, right? Okay? There's, there's, I'll just keep it in Christianity. God's perfect, right? The devil is bad, right? Well, who made the devil? Because God makes everything, right? God did. So what's the devil? The devil is God's darkness. The devil is God's worst day cycle. The devil is God's self-victimization. The reconciliation of all spirituality is when God and the devil, when they reconcile. And so what my book is, is I don't talk anything spiritual, but it is. It's a reconciliation spiritually of the darkness that we all have, that pain and trauma we don't want to deal with. And when you become an expert in it, when you become the expert in the devil and you, you come together, and that's the essence of God. God is in, what does the Bible say? God is in all of us at all times, unless we push it away. What does that mean? When we're not walking in our greatness, when we're in our self-victimizing devil, we are detached from ourselves and God. When you go do the work and you reconcile, like I, I, I have a chapter in the book called The Day I Saw My Darkness, It's when I saw how absolutely manipulative and narcissistic and ugly I am. That was the day I got set free. That was the day that and one other thing with my father is when I was able to see how to live in my greatness and out of my self-victimization, out of the devil. And so it's if you look at, if you do the work and it's tough because of denial, it takes a while to see it but you'll see the process I'm teaching is a biblical process. It's, it is it, but I just don't use those terms, but it is how God himself or herself, whatever you believe in is reconciling it in the Bible as well.
1: What do you believe happens when it's all over? When our time here on earth comes to an end?
0: I have absolutely no clue. Like literally, I don't know. And I don't think about it because I don't, I don't obsess about death. I'm just here. And it'll be what it's supposed to be, I guess. And honestly, I think there's a piece of me that needs to grow more that's not ready to, like at some point I'll probably investigate that, but I probably haven't grown enough to tackle that. And that's why I don't really think about it. I, I probably have a life experience waiting for me, as I've learned. No matter what you do, there are life experiences waiting for you. And once I have that life experience, kind of like this God devil discussion, um, that was born out of life experiences. And so, because I've never really contemplated what comes after, there's probably a life experience waiting for me so I can contemplate it. It just hasn't happened yet because hmm. it's not something I really think about.
1: What a great answer. I will leave you with this final question, Coach yeah. Kenny Weiss. How would you like to be remembered?
0: I would like to be remembered as somebody who started a movement to fundamentally shift society. That at some point, I'm a footnote because the whole design of the greatness movement is right now it's centered on me. I'm the one talking about all this. But as the groups come, they start their own groups. And this becomes a fundamental shift in society. So we don't destroy ourselves, but we walk on our greatness. So at some point I'd like to, I would love, I, I don't need the personal recognition. Like I don't need that anymore. When I was playing sports, I needed it. Like, but that would be at least for my kids or grandkids way down the line. They're like, yeah, that whole greatness movement, the way we all live, that started way back there when he found his darkness and all this stuff, that, that would be the legacy or the way I'd like to be remembered. The one who created a fundamental shift in society, like we've never seen.
1: Hmm. I, I am just, I, I'm just in awe of this dialogue. I I thank you. Yes. Thank you for, for showing up before we part ways, give us a brief (laughs) overview Um, what is the greatness movement and how, how would I become a part of it? What does that mean to be a part of it? Yeah.
0: The Greatness Movement is really the ultimate self-awareness process, all right? And as I discussed, we've all been through pain, and it's learning how that pain is keeping us from self-awareness. And we focus on five basic things, self-awareness, personal development, communication, relationships, and leadership. The process of the Greatness Movement creates all of those, because all of those things change, and you, that's what creates your greatness. Now, You know, I do events like we have an event coming here November fifteenth in Arizona, and it's a series called Healing the Hurt. We're focusing on fear, um, depression, anxiety, and stress, um, and how those show up. and It's highly, it's not so much about okay, here's the diagnosis. It's highly, highly process oriented. Here's the way out of those. Um, and then next, starting next year, we'll do an eight part series throughout the year, every six weeks or so on different aspects of the greatness movement, but the movement itself, I do small groups, eight to 10 people. All right. It's intimate. I, I, while I would never tell anyone not to go to Tony Robbins or landmark PSI, any of the other kind of things out there, they're wonderful. You learn great things, but it's a sales job. You will not turn your life around in a three-day adrenaline-packed weekend. You'll learn some things. You will definitely come out feeling amazing, but after 24 to 72 hours, the adrenaline will wear off, and you'll be, for the most part, right back where you started. Change takes time. So we meet once a month. It's a 12-month course because you need time for your brain and body to change. Um, I set up private Facebook groups, so I videotape the meeting so you can go back and watch it. You build community within that group for the intimacy and growth together. Um, It's just a completely different process than anything that is out there. So we, you know, I have the Greatness Movement podcast, which you can watch for free. I have the book, which the the Greatness Movement is based off of. It's the Hmm. ultimate self-awareness process. I run the individual groups. I've had lots of people reach out to me about, you know, online type stuff. The difficulty has been time zones. Coordinating, getting people from three different time zones that you could pick a day and time. So if there's a group of people in a time zone, I'd be happy to do the exact same thing online for them that can't be here in Arizona. Um, so we do that, and then there are the events. So it's all about spreading the message and getting people this information, so we can create that shift, and then they can go teach it to others.
1: Well, isn't the isn't the greatness movement <laughs> the twelve month? process is isn't that an online thing
0: yeah well right now i've have like i have a list of people asking for it but it's been through three different time zones it's like well i can do 7 p.m pacific well that's 10 p.m eastern i can't do that i can do 7 p.m eastern so i need eight to ten people in a consistent time zone mm. you know that's why it hasn't gone that and um you know we i will say you know the the whole when i when i was coming out of the suicide i went back into my office when i realized i couldn't do it and i wrote down i want to come up with a process a pro, a protocol that nobody else has discovered that'll fundamentally change society so the first 2 years here was the book and the protocol the greatness movement really just got launched 4 4 months ago so i'm just in the beginning process of now doing the fundamental shift in society part. And so I have to admit there's a weakness in being able to reach outside of a local market. That's what we're building now is that ability, the platform. And some of it is more people need to know about it. And, um, but yes, the idea is that you won't have to fly here to Arizona to do it. Um, You know, that we will have the online courses. We're developing all of that. So I just need more people in a consistent time zone to get a group started there. And it's all, the cost is $99 a month. Like if you, I mean, like that's dirt cheap. Yeah. Everyone can afford that. How many times are you going to Starbucks, you know? Yeah. So.
1: Well, this is, like I said, extraordinary. My new favorite person. Thank you so much, Coach Kenny Weiss, for, for opening up, for sharing your stuff. Magnificent. I am, uh, I'm an absolute fan. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I I really appreciate the opportunity to share what I'm trying to do and reach people and um, thank you for that. And, and the thorough research on me as well and the questioning so I can, you know, try and communicate the message we're doing. So thank you for all the efforts you put in. I really appreciate it
1: likewise sir uh we're gonna link to all the relevant pieces to this uh, incredible puzzle uh in and around this episode so there you go uh hopefully you found something that you can embrace and put into action and make good things happen thank you so much for tuning in for listening for doing you and for being you until we meet again go get them